0: You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network.
1: It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win?
2: Everyone, welcome to Thesis on Joan. I'm Megan, she/her,
3: and I'm Holly, they/them. Thesis on Joan is a podcast dedicated to amplifying voices from the LGBTQ plus community in the New York performing arts scene and examining the industry from a queer perspective. Join fan queers and theater professionals, Megan and I, as we sit down with groundbreaking theater folk from Brooklyn Cabaret performers to people backstage and on Broadway. For many queers, theater has been an escape. This podcast looks to have open conversations on where we've come from and where we're headed as a community while queering the canon along the way. And today we're sitting down with Lady Dane Figueroa Aditi. Dubbed the ancient jazz priestess of Mother Africa, Lady Dane Figueroa Aditi is a Black, Nigerian, Cuban, indigenous, American performance artist, author, educator, speech writer, a Helen Hayes award-winning playwright with Clytemnestra, an epic slam poem for Black trans girls, ghost writer, the Diaz family talent show, quest of the Reed Marsh daughter, and the dance of memories, an advocate, dramaturg, a two-time Helen Hayes Award-nominated choreographer and co-editor of the Black Trans Prayer Book. She is the founder of the Inanna D. Initiatives, which curates, produces, and cultivates events and initiatives designed to center and celebrate the work of TGNC artists of color. She is a curator and a co-producer of Longworth Theater's Black Trans Women at the Center, An Evening of Short Plays. Hi, Lady Dane. Welcome to Thesis on Joan. Hey, hey, hey. Thank y'all for having me.
2: (laughs) Of course. We always like to start by asking our guests their name, pronouns, and anything else you'd like to share about how you identify.
0: Um, Hi, everybody. I am Lady Dane Figueroa Aditi. My pronouns are she, her, hers. Um, I am a Black, Nigerian, Cuban, Indigenous, American, trans woman, performance artist, priestess, goddess, um, you know, playwright, writer. (laughs) (laughs) Amazing.
3: I mean, clearly you're a very prolific person and artist, uh, in, in many different mediums. And how do you kind of figure out if something that you're working on is specifically a theater piece or not?
0: Um, well, for myself, I generally, um, it's so interesting, this question. It's like, oh, what does this question mean? Um, cause I think for myself, I'm like, what? Um, I, I guess I don't, I don't really think about it in that way. Right. Like for me, it's one of those things where I'm like, I'm like, okay, a play is, is, you know, calling to me. Right. Or like, oh, a novel is calling to me or, um, Oh, a piece of poetry, right. It's calling for me to write it. And so like, I think that, um, I, I also know that, um, for example, if you look at any of my scripts, um, that I've written perhaps in the past, uh, six to seven years, as far as like plays are concerned, um, I write them like I write poetry. So there's not really a lot of punctuation, um, um, I write within the rhythm of the text, and so some of my the, the styles of writing, um, uh, they are my style of writing. Um, but I think some stories are they call to me to to be written for a specific type of um, literary genre.
2: Awesome. And you have, um, within those genres, is there ever any crossover? For example, you've written a lot of books. Would you ever turn one of those into a theater piece?
0: Well, actually two of the books that are, um, two of the books that are published, right. Are, um, uh, scripts as well. So for black trans girls, um, began, you know, it's it it was written as a literary daughter, um, to For Color Girls. And it, uh, so I wrote the book of poetry first and then from that book of poetry through work, through the workshop process we have the theater script that she used during readings and or production eventually. Um, Clyde Amnestra, which I think was my 13th book published, uh, has a foreword for me um, about like some of the themes of the piece and also the a written out history. Um, and then you actually get the script along with that. So you get kind of my commentary on it. Um, and then you get to actually read the script. And so some of them have crossed. I certainly think that there are some books that I've written that would work well as perhaps movies or television shows. Um, and I know that some people have said to me that they maybe they're like, "Oh, why not turn Yemayaya's daughters into um, a movie or a play?" And part of the reason why I didn't want to do that uh, turn that book into kind of um, into anything regarding those mediums is because Yamayaya's daughters I wrote specifically um, through first person, right? So like the point of view was through the main character. And also, um, you forget as you're reading the book, you forget that the, that the protagonist is trans. And so when transphobia comes up in the book, the sort of jolt that happens around it is sort of how I felt like I experienced transphobia, um, meaning like, You know, what is wrong with y'all? Why are y'all being transphobic? (laughs) What? (laughs) You know, because like, I am who I say I am, right? And, um, and it's like, it is, it is not my, it is not my, uh, issue that like a person who is transphobic can't recognize that, right? Can't recognize my divinity, um, can't recognize my womanhood or, and or doesn't choose to, right? Like that's Mm -hmm. not, that's not, that is not a fault of mine. It is a fault of theirs. So the book is written specifically um, so that everything is imagined and in, in you're able to actually create the picture in your mind and also um, experience the realness of this person through their own way of experiencing themselves, mm-hmm. as opposed to um, having the world try to dictate who she is initially.
3: Yeah. That makes so much sense to me. I, I don't walk around like thinking about my otherness until it like gets reflected back to me, I think. Yeah.
0: Right. Right. <laughs> I was like, yes. <laughs> I affirm that. <laughs> Can
3: you tell us a bit about your cabaret work?
0: Oh my goodness. Cabaret work. So I've been doing cabaret since I was a teenager child. Wow. Um, and I, I think that first it started off initially because I wanted to raise money for a college, um, and I wasn't really performing a lot at school. So I went to a performance arts high school. Hi, Bono School for the Arts. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, and I discovered, right, this, um, deep, deep, deep rooted, Um, not only love of jazz, but the fact that I had the gift of jazz. And so um, I started doing cabarets when I was a a teenager. And then when I got into university, you know, it's like, you know, I wanted to play, I wanted to play like the lady M's and the, you know, I wanted to play all the ladies and they were like, (laughs) girl, you got to play Othello. And I said, girl, No. Right. So, um, I really, you know, I honed my performance skills, uh, writing cabarets, um, writing material for cabarets, like telling jokes, you know what I mean? Singing songs, um, and developing that kind of audience relationship, uh, through, the work of cabarets. And so now, you know, when people come to my cabarets, things that you can expect from my cabarets, comedy, um, you can expect, uh, politics, conversations about politics. Um, I have this, I have this medley that I do of all these like nasty songs about, you know, um, I call it, I call it the bad bee medley, honey. And it's basically like, oh, <laughs> you know, everybody was talking about WAP, right? They were like, WAP, WAP, WAP. And I was like, what? I said, honey, you haven't heard of some of the girls, honey. I said, you must have not had heard, you know, Pull Up to My Bumper Baby by Grace Jones or Millie Jackson, Slow Tongue or All the Way Lover. I said, honey, you haven't heard those. And so basically what I did, right, is that like, um, I put together this medley of all these like you know nasty songs by amazing mm-hmm. black women artists, um and I and I sing it, honey, and I sing it. Mm-hmm. And so like the the shows for me, my cabaret shows are um are a way for me to you know have a relationship to the audience and um that is not uh, that is not uh consumed by the fourth wall, if that makes sense. Um. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and to also, you know, commentate and critique oppressive systems, um and celebrate uh my womanhood, celebrate black and indigenous women, um, celebrate trans people. Um yeah.
2: In addition to the uh medley, which sounds fantastic, and we <laughs> both need to hear it, um, yeah. are there any other highlights you would like to mention about your past cabaret performances and anything you want to share about what you plan to do going forward?
0: Yeah, I mean, I will say this i miss I miss it right like my last cabaret performance was last year. it was called work and it was um it was a celebration of black women and it was at studio theater and um, because of the, you know, the pandemic, nobody is going into theaters, right? Um, and the other day, I was like thinking, I was like, oh, I miss, I miss cabarets. Um, so I think going forward, there are definitely some, there are definitely some tunes that I would want to add to um, my roster of songs, and also I would like to um, dive into perhaps doing some more original pieces as well. I also songwrite. Um, <clears throat> But yeah, those are my thoughts. I mean, like, one of my favorite tunes to do is like Shaka Khan's Through the Fire. Um, listen, let me tell you something. When I, baby, when that Through the Fire get a hold of me, baby, (laughs) (laughs) baby. So yeah, I think that that's a song that most certainly. You'll probably always see in any of my cabarets, um, you'll probably always see a Patti LaBelle song because, you know, Patti LaBelle is one of my main mains. I love her. Um, growing up, I used to put on a, a towel on my head, honey, and fall out on the floor and things and sing Somewhere Over the Rainbow. Yes, honey. Yeah. <laughs> used, like, used to be like, dang, do Somewhere Over the Rainbow. All right. I got you, honey. Yeah. So, Patti LaBelle. So, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh, incredible. I know. I didn't even really think about how cabaret is like extra risky theater because of the no fourth wall <laughs> like coming into the audience or talking closer to the audience. Uh-huh. Can't wait till weekend and see one of your shows soon. Uh, so you recently co-produced Black Trans Women at the Center, an evening of short plays with Long Wharf Theater. Uh, can you tell us about how that relationship came about and how other queer BIPOC artists might be able to leverage their access and privilege for their communities?
0: Yeah. So I was, so uh, Douglas Lyons uh, reached out to me and was like, Hey, I wrote this play. He's from New Haven. And so he was like, Hey, I wrote this play. Um, it, you know, it's about, it's about a black trans woman. It was a short 10 minute piece. Um, at the time there were, there was a lot of reports about violence happening to black trans women in the news Um, And he was like, basically, he wanted to use that play to um, help to bring a conversation um, to an audience, perhaps, who was not having that conversation around... Um, what does it mean to make a world that is safe for black trans women? And so I read the piece and I said, all right, I said, all right, Douglas. So these were my notes, right? Like, these are my notes. These are the things I think you should change. And he had said that Longworth had signed on already to do, to do a virtual reading of, um, sunshine. And so, in that, so I went into the meeting with Longworth, right? Um, Basically, like, really with my own agenda in very many ways, where it's like I wanted to create an evening that um, centered Black trans women in many capacities, meaning as playwrights, um, actors, myself, you know, as a director, um, et cetera, et cetera. And Longworth was like, yeah, girl. And I was like, right? Uh, <laughs> right? Uh, and so I always say to folks, I say, you know, I went into that meeting, um, a director and I left a producer. Oh wow. And so for, for me, right? It was just like, you know, what is the access that being a director on that piece gave me? And then how would I leverage that access? And I think that so often, well, I will say this. Um, I think that white supremacy tries to tell us that we don't have the right to ask for um, what we believe is necessary. Mm-hmm. Um, and I believe that it was necessary for us to uh, pay Black trans women play rights. I believe that it was necessary for us to center Black trans women um, in that evening completely completely. Um and I, and I said to Long Wharf, like this is what this is what I think that the evening should be. And the evening became more expansive and Long Wharf did what what is supposed to happen, right? They said, Yes. Yes. Let us get back to you with what the budget is. And I said, Great, awesome. Um and now, you know, black trans women at the center, I don't know if I can announce it yet, so I won't announce
3: it. Oh, okay.
0: But, but 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 i will say this um i also understand the ways that uh systems have kept black trans women um out of spaces and so i want to call to action every theater person who might be listening to this um that it is imperative um for whoever that may be um that you make sure that any theater that you might have any type of structural power in that you are advocating for that theater to um, commission, produce the works of black trans women.
3: Yeah, absolutely. And I think you were someone coming in to direct this short piece and you got a whole kind of evening out of it. That's really amazing. That's and amazing. yeah, I think people should be asking more for things like that. That's really incredible.
0: <laughs> yeah. I was like, I was like, I said, you know what's about to happen? <laughs> we about to make, we about to make this evening. We about to make this evening full, honey. Full. <laughs> um, and Longworth said, yep. What you need? And I said, this is what wow. I need. Yeah.
2: That's that- amazing to hear. Good on <laughs> Longworth. That's great. <laughs> yeah.
0: I'm like good on Longworth, good on me. That's true. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> also, I will say, yeah, yes. You know, I think Longworth is awesome, right? Um, and and you know, I think you know Douglas did what what What, Doug, what I believe, right, that those who are invested in collaborating with the trans community should do when they identify as cisgender, right, is that Douglas um really decentered himself. And so like, you know, there was a lot of work that happened behind the scenes. Um, even in that, you know, the post show conversation. Um, Douglas was not in that post-show conversation for most of the media work, like there was an interview that was done um that myself, CC and Desi were interviewed and Douglas was not, right? So um Douglas did what um, he was supposed to do, which is that um he decentered himself, right? Um, and that the black trans women truly did um, become the center of um, that evening, period.
3: Yeah. That's great to see examples of that happening.
4: Also I
0: love Long Wharf.
2: Love you, Long Wharf. <laughs> <laughs> they just needed a little nudge in the right direction. <laughs>
3: Going back to the play, your play you mentioned, or your choreo poem, Black Trans Girls Who Gotta Cuss a Motherfucker Out When Snatching an Edge Ain't Enough, <laughs> was produced at the public last year. Can you tell us about how you approach centering and celebrating Black trans women? You know, we talked about this uh, this evening of uh, sharing, but how else do you approach that?
0: Yeah. So most of my, you know, most of my, um, most of my books have black trans women protagonists Um, and there might be a second protagonist who is a cis woman Um, Mm -hmm. but most of my books have black trans women as protagonists and black trans women who um, share parts of my identity, right? Um, And so that's on period, right? As they say, period poo. Um, And (laughs) (laughs) And a lot of my advocacy work, um, is really about, you know, centering black, brown, indigenous, uh, trans folks. And so for, you know, for black trans girls, I felt like, um, for color girls is such a staple, right? Like it is literally what, like we would not have hip hop theater without for color girls. And that is mm-hmm. the truth. And so, um, so many of the ways of storytelling that we celebrate now in this modern age really, um, Really owes, it really owes a lot to, for color girls by, in, you know, into Saki Shange, right? She, she, she revolutionized her, her you know, her sister, uh, Miss Diane, really revolutionized theater in ways that were thrilling. Um, and that the ripples, the ripple of that is felt now. Um, and so for me, I said, you know what, one day I'm going to write a choreo poem. And I said, after 2016, I was like, you know, black trans women have been sounding the alarm about white supremacy, um, for so long. And I think now in 2020, we are witnessing, you know, the ignoring of the, the sounding of the alarm on that. Um, but in, you know, in 2016, after, you know, who was, uh, I guess he, you know, the electoral college elected him because he definitely lost the popular vote. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was pissed off. I was pissed off because I said, you know, if we had just dealt with what the real issue was, um, which is white supremacy, um, we probably could have saved some lives now, right? Um, and so for me, I wanted to write a piece in which, um, black trans women were able to be all of who they wanted to be and to tell the audience, if you want to be in community with us, these are the rules. Right. And, and and to dictate what it means to be in community with them, as opposed to, I like, I'm not invested in white savior narratives. I'm not invested in a cisgender person's like that savior narrative. I'm just not invested in those things. I'm invested in, um, you know, black trans women being able to be fully themselves, whether that is complex, whether that is, um, you know, one track minded, whether that is messy, whatever that is. Um, and so in my work, I, I approach my work by writing women who um, are all of those things sometimes in that their transness is a part of who they are and it's a deep worthy and divine part of who they are and that they understand that they are connected to a sacred legacy that goes back to the beginning of time
2: we also wanted to ask and i want to kind of go on that track of the sacred legacy because i think this might have kind of tie in together um, what theater artists or artists have made you feel seen and represented? Oh
0: gosh. I, you know, it's like, you know, what do we mean by that? Right. What do, can you tell me what we mean by that? Cause I think that, um, go ahead. Can you expand? Can you expand on that? <laughs>
2: <one>? <laughs> and maybe there, maybe there's not, you know, maybe there's not an answer to it, but is, is there, I think the way that we talk about, that at least I understand it and how you can jump in with the way you understand it is if you've ever been able to see a work of art or a theater piece, um, and you're like, Oh, okay. That's something I connect with. That's a part of me up there. And I know a lot of the work that you're doing is to bring that reality for other people. So maybe, maybe you haven't had that experience before.
0: Oh no, I no, (laughs) I think of course. Right. Like, I think that there's lots of, I I think that, you know, folks like Mel Carter, um, you know, in theater history, folks like Aida Walker, um, folks like Cordelia McClain, um, who I, you know, I played in a play ages ago. Oh my goodness, child. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, that was my first, you know, Cordelia McClain was my first role where um I was a leading lady. And 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 that role, you know, me playing her in that show really awakened uh, D.C. theater audiences to like, oh, this this person is this person can be a leading lady. Hmm. I think people I said I might have said no Carter. Right. I think people like, you know, Lorraine Hansberry. I. Um, oh, my goodness. You know, people like Nina Simone. Uh, I, you know, I choreographed Nina Simone for women at Arena Stage a few years ago. Um, which was, you know, about her trying to write Mississippi Goddamn. Um, y- you know, there, there are so many trans theater artists, um, existing now who are doing such incredible work, right? I think, you know, my sister Desi being here in DC, uh, Cece Suazo, who was featured on Black Trans Women at the Center, you know, L. Morgan Lee, um, Ian e. Fields, um, Yari Jones, right, who was a part of, her and Desi were a part of, uh, for, um, Black Trans Girls at, at the pub. Um, yeah, so I mean, I, I would be here all night, I think, if I, if I, um, (laughs) were to name, right, if I were to name, like, all the, the folks who, um, are, are in my community, um, and also who, are who have fought, right, for me, to be able um, to take up the type of space that I do on a theatrical stage. Um, But I think that, yeah, I I mean, where there are Black and Indigenous and Latinx artists who are really, 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 really deeply rooted and um, centering, who are deeply rooted, right, and not catering to the white gaze, Period. Mm -hmm. Gaze. G a z e. Y'all who listening. Uh, (laughs) They like the gaze. Gaze. G a z e. Y'all. Them too. Um, Yeah. Right. Right? I think that I think when I have witnessed that those pieces of art, I have seen my I have witnessed myself in very many ways. Maybe not fully reflective, but most certainly parts of me. Um, because we have the right to center ourselves in the telling of our story. Um, we have a right in centering ourselves when we think about who we're telling our story to, um, and who we're telling our story for. That's my answer to that question.
3: (laughs) That's great. Swinging over to your role as a a healer and how does that role influence the work you create and how you create?
0: Yeah, I, you know, I, I, I understand that, you know, the violence that white supremacy has enacted on um, black, brown and indigenous trans folks, right, has co- it, it has caused trauma. And that even outside of, you, you know, I think that we oftentimes in, in these conversations, we're having conversations about, oh, what can the theater do? How can the theater be responsible? What can the, how can the theater shift and change? And I, you know, I told someone on a call one day, I said, listen, if you're not invested White person, if you're not invested in, in in dismantling white supremacy and all of the systems that come from that colonization, patriarchy, um, you know, transphobia, homophobia, classism, ableism, etc., how can I trust? If you're not invested in dismantling those systems outside of the theater, how can I trust that when you come into the theater that you have my best interests at heart when you're interacting with mm-hmm. me? Yeah, And yeah. so as a healer, um, ultimately, I understand that trans people are divine, period, period. And that my work celebrates, centers, reaffirms the divinity of trans people and says that you trans person have the right to be all of who you are. And that the violence has that has been enacted upon you, whether it is in your interpersonal relationships or it is it is systematic, there is a root cause of those things and it is not you. It is a system of colonization, patriarchy, imperialism, and white supremacy that has tried to end you and your ancestors. And that you existing is because your ancestors dreamed you into existence. You existing is because you have dreamed yourself into existence. And so as a healer, I believe that it is a responsibility to hold that mirror to trans people, especially black, brown, indigenous trans people especially, particularly, and, and and to say, like, you have the right to exist. You have the right to exist and not simply exist, but to thrive. And perhaps this hour and a half that you're witnessing my work or 10 minutes or two hours or two and a half hours child. I don't think I got anything that's written for two and a half hours child. <laughs> Who does that anymore in 2020? Um, <laughs> but however long you are, you are sitting in the theater or you are observing or witnessing something that I have written, um, you know, may you leave that space understanding that you have the right to thrive. Period. Yeah.
3: I just want to edit and like put that on repeat a couple times.
2: In the <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Uh.
1: <laughs> it is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper?
2: Shifting over to another part of your work, you're the founder of the D initiatives. Can you tell us more about the work that these initiatives focus on?
0: Yeah. So, you know, arts, right? Like, um, I, at a time in my life, there was a time in my life where, um, you know, I was, I, I, you know, I was producing a, a bunch of things, right? Like scraping together coins and producing things and paying trans folks to perform, um, and so i i you know a lot of my advocacy work has utilized art as a tool for healing, and so the non d initiatives was really um was really born from the work that was that I was already doing the arts advocacy work that I was doing um where I was specifically designing programs um where trans people um were performing and 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 were getting paid and I was raising money for. Um, and so, you know, the non d initiatives is a part of, um, my art advocacy work. Um, I think, I, I think that that's the short of the long of, of that.
3: Um, do you want to share any like examples of the work that the, these initiatives are doing?
0: Yeah. So before, um, I used to, uh, partner with a, a cabaret, um, in D.C., and I would do uh trans evening. I also um, used to do, uh, produce evenings of poetry as well. Um, so things like that. So now, because so much of my work, right, um, so much of the work that I was doing around arts advocacy is a part of what I do with the Black Trans Prayer Book. Um, it's like, you know, awkward, the Black Trans Prayer Book and Anonity Initiatives. Um because those things are, you know, Anonade is run by myself, and then the Black Transparent Book is myself and Jay Mace. Um, we, myself and Jay Mace, um, are the directors of that, and then, um, Awkward Jay Mace is the director of that. So the things that you see often now that's happening, um, with the Black Transparent Book are a part of, um, is a continuation of the work that I was doing with the Ananda D initiatives. Um, right now, Mason and I are in conversation um, to do a documentary. Um, the Black Transpare book is going to do a documentary for um, with the contributors of the Black Transpare book. And then Mason and I are in conversation to do something else that I don't think I can announce to the world just yet.
3: So many
2: things to look forward
3: to. <laughs> so
0: many <Somebody> stay tuned.
2: <laughs> is there any upcoming things that you can share with us or is it all under wraps right now?
0: Oh my goodness. Any upcoming things? Wow. Well, Oh, I just wrote a piece for um a thing that's called Oh Lordy, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> it's like about voting, right? Because like everyone's like literally it's called Act Out, Vote 2020. I, I just wrote a monologue for that and it's like it's an evening of like pizzas by way. I don't know. I I don't know. I think they're gonna announce <laughs> it today. So okay. Okay. we can okay. always look to I, it. <laughs> I think they're gonna announce it today, but I think because it's like supposed to happen next Thursday. So basically, I wrote a piece um about voting, and that was very very difficult because they had to be like um it had to be non-partisan. Oh, what I no. wrote, oh, and wow. I was like, child, how do you even do that? <laughs> But, yeah. Okay. <laughs> not I this year. Well, yeah. <laughs> no, not yeah. any year, but
2: this year especially.
0: <laughs> so that's something. I'm still working on my book, um She of the Fallen Stars, which, which takes place in the year 4000. Um and it's about uh four Black trans women who um one's a space pirate one's a princess from africa another is um uh, a ple- oh she's called a pleasure priestess um in outer space and then another one is um is uh they're called const- uh, she's a custodian of a uh prison colony um and so it's about how these four different black trans women um, are connected to each other and, and they're coming, to, of course, they're coming together to like fight an evil, right? The, <laughs> an evil secret shady organization. Um, it's the year 4,000 where, <laughs> where would you be without, you know, <laughs> talking about how <laughs> evil corporations are? Right. Uh, <laughs> like every dystopian narrative. Um, so I'm working on that. And then of course um, I was commissioned by Baltimore Center Stage, to write a piece which is a part of my um baltimore cycle of plays and um that is something that i'm still working on i just i submitted my first draft and had my first meeting um so (laughs) so working on that and then also rep stage is of course still going to do ghostwriter um that we are in conversations right now to really wonder right like if we want to move Ghostwriter to actually the 2021 2022 season mm-hmm. just because you know covid is shady miss rona is shady out here and um we want everyone to be as safe as possible but we may do something else with Ghostwriter um in 2021 that is safe that is virtual um that um yeah could give the audience like a little taste of what we got going on. So those are some things that I have coming up. I just released my latest book, uh, my 14th book, um, which was just called infrastructure of a nation, which um, it's, it's, it's poems and prose and reflections on, um, you know, revolution and, and remembering how to love. And, um, you know, it's a, it's a critique of systematic oppression and white supremacy and all of that as well. Yeah. Wow.
3: Such a wide range yeah. from like space pirates. to
2: I know. I have to like forget that I heard about the year 4,000 book because I'm just going to think about it until I can read it now. So I need to just like wipe that from my memory until it's available to me. That sounds amazing. Do you want
3: to talk about Ghostwriter a bit and what that, what that piece is about and, you know, like anything people should be excited about?
0: Yeah, Ghostwriter is, okay, so all of my Baltimore Cycle plays, um have some timey-wimey aspect, right? So I, I did write a 2020, I, gosh, I feel like, you know, Three years from now, it'll be like the COVID plays, right? Like, um,
2: mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> I, I did write a, uh, COVID play within that Baltimore cycle called Between Time. And it's about two neighbors who, um, who live across from each other. And, um, I was inspired by, you know, the people in Italy who were singing right to each other through their windows. Um, and so it takes place in both ba- that place takes place in Baltimore and they're two neighbors and their windows are separated by a small alleyway and they fall in love during the quarantine. Ghost Rider is a part of that Baltimore cycle of plays. Um, and that the first half takes place in 1920, right outside of Tulsa, Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. Um, and the second half takes place in Baltimore, 2019. So it's a two, it's a, they call them two handers, right? Um and so it's two actors, they play two people in act one, and then they play two people in act two. Um, and you find out how they're connected when you actually come and witness the play. <laughs> <laughs> no, I wanted
2: to ask, I was like, I'm probably not allowed to know. Yep. <laughs>
0: but I can, I can say this, in act one, um, the two characters are, there's a woman named, uh, Ruby, and then a man named Patrick, I think. Uh, <laughs> he's, like, white, so I don't really care about him. But, uh, <laughs> and he's a man. Um, so, <laughs> oh, my gosh. Um, reverse racism is not real. Um, so, <laughs> <laughs> right, like I hope like men are like, is she ever race racist? It's not real, y'all. <laughs> um, it's just not a real thing. Um, so um he is an he's the son of an Irish immigrant and um Miss Ruby is a um she's kind of this woman who um utilizes herbs and magic to help her community of people. And so he comes to her seeking her help. Um, he comes to her seeking for her to, uh, you know, help him with some spirits. Um, and then um, Act Two takes place in 2019. And those two characters, um, it is Charles, is the, the, the white guy plays Charles. And then the Black trans woman plays um, a character named Rebecca. And she's a ghostwriter. And he's like a famous writer. Um, and she basically comes to his apartment to, um, help him with his writer's block. And, um, her methods are a little unusual. Um, and so, um, yeah. And I think that that's really all that I can share about the fact. That's
2: great. I,
0: I want to see it. Yeah, I can't
3: wait. So you've been speaking about the need for theaters to dismantle white supremacy, uh, and that includes like reparations, centering black leadership, paying black artists, uh, you among with many people. Uh, are there any theaters that you've seen? We talked about Long Wharf, but are there other theaters that you've seen taking these steps?
0: Yeah. I mean, I think I would say I've seen some things from Baltimore center stage. Right. Um, I, you know, I want to celebrate, um, theater Alliance cause I think, you know, theater Alliance is a non company, but theater Alliance was a theater that actually you know, that actually produced my first world premiere, which was Clytemnestra last year. Um, and, and took a chance on my writing and celebrated my writing. Um, um, it, cause for anyone who's out there who doesn't know, right? Like it, it, as a playwright, um, there, things may be different, might be different after the, you know, after the 2020, but, um, to be a writer, oftentimes to get a literary agent, you have to have like shows produced, like on, on theater stages and, when you are a Black trans woman playwright, even when you are brilliant, you know, it was very, it, it was difficult. You know, uh, Clyde and Mestre, I wrote about, I started writing that almost 10 years ago. And it's taken that long for it to get a world premiere. Um, and so, you know, to think about the fact that not only, right, are Black trans women having to deal with um, transphobia and white supremacy outside of the theater space, but the theater space oftentimes um, it, 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 it um, recreates and enforces those same oppressive systems. Um, so I want to uplift, uh, well not uplift, uh, I want to <laughs> celebrate in this moment because it's like ah, oh, uplift is so like ah, oh. uh, <laughs> I want to uplift the small man. It's so like white woman with high ceilings, right? I want to uplift the small (laughs) man. You know, celebrate in this moment um, the fact that Theater Alliance said you are a brilliant writer, and we are going to do everything that we can to make sure that you're that you get the world premiere that you deserve. And they did. Um, and so I've, I've already witnessed the work happening from them before, before mm-hmm. we see you white American theater. And so, yeah, I mean, like those, you know, Longworth, Baltimore Center Stage and um, theater lives are three theaters who I am in conversation with a lot. So um, I can say that I, I believe that they are taking some of the steps to, to do what is necessary. I also just want to say this right, like I just feel like because our because our country is is colonized right, and because our country is is built off of um the genocide of indigenous peoples and uh the enslavement of black people and the uh, uh discriminating um against immigrants i i feel like um no theater will ever do enough, really? Mhm, and I think that um, but but because no theater can ever do enough, it does not mean that theaters don't have the responsibility to still strive to still strive for um a less oppressive theater a theater that is um that is free of white supremacy that has dismantled white supremacy that does not allow white supremacy, um, and it's doors. Um, so yeah, I feel like when we talk about like who's doing the work, right. Sometimes I say, well, like who has the privilege of doing the work?
1: Mm.
0: Who has the uh, financial means to be doing the work? Who, um, who has been doing the work, but hasn't been celebrated because like they ain't got no Broadway house, right? Or they haven't had no shows go to Broadway.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: And then what I'm more interested in is, um, who are you outside of your institution? And are you committed to dismantling white supremacy? Um, not simply within your institution, but also in the world. Because when I leave an institution, when I leave a theater institution, I'm still all of who I am. And I am still going out into a world um, that is transphobic and anti-Black and white supremacist. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, that 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 has profited off of all of those things. And so I say, you know, my call to action and my like holding the mirror to folks is like not only what are you doing in your institution, but also what are you doing in your life to dismantle these oppressive systems? That was a long way of me saying that.
2: No, it's, I feel like it's different than any other way we've, we've heard that like discussion. And that's such a great point. It's not just like doing it in the building itself. It's how you're going out into the world and like what you're leaving your audience with. And, who you're even trying to
0: create an audience for. I think that's another thing too
2: that we've been talking about a lot.
0: Yeah. Like who are you? Like, I think some of the questions right too, are like, are you actually invested in the communities that your theater is in? Are you, do you know, do you even know your community that your theater is in? Um, Are you invested in indigenous sovereignty? You know what I mean? Like, are you, are you actually like building, um relationship with with the with the indigenous peoples of of the land that your theater is on mm-hmm.
4: um
0: you know are you you know uh, it is such a surprise right it, it's not a surprise it, it it is such a um it's very telling right that that so often right violence happens to black trans women in some of these cities and those theaters do not release a statement condemning transphobia Mm-hmm. At the very yeah. least, right, like right seems like an obvious first step, um, and so for me it, it it's it's about um you know who do you who do you wanna be when you wake up in the morning, and then who and then who do you, and then what do you want the place where you work to be when you have to go to it
2: right mm-hmm. actually be not just saying that you are. <laughs>
0: Right. Yeah. Nobody's got time for it. I was about to cuss. Never mind. Uh, (laughs) It's fine. (laughs) You can cuss. I was going to (laughs) say, ain't nobody got time for no fake shit, baby. (laughs) Listen, because like, because really, right. For some, for some of us, it is a matter of life and death.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: And so like, and so what I'm needing for, for certain theater creatives to understand Is that like one, you do not have the right to rest on your laurels just because you did some kind of like anti-racism training or you did one program that centers black people um, or you produce one black trans woman. You can't rest on your laurels with that baby Mm -hmm. Um, just because you released the Black Lives Matter statement when George Floyd was murdered. Because the the work, the work that is, that is necessary to be done, um, we are fighting against systems that in some cases are thousands of years old, in some cases, hundreds mm-hmm. and so thousands, thousands. Well, yeah, imperialism. Um, and so, so we, you know, it, you got to be who you say you are. And this theater of wokeness, this theater of wokeness, baby, we're past that. Um, we're past that.
3: Yeah, I love that. That gives everyone such agency. I feel like a lot of times think the buck is kind of passed to like, oh, the most powerful person in organizations, but that really like challenges everyone to be like, no, what exactly are you doing? What steps are you taking? Yeah.
0: And I mean also right to whom much is given, much is required. So I want to say this. I think that, you know, to the, to the commercial theaters and to the theater and to the nonprofits who may have budgets that are high or may have lots of money or may have funders who just go and give them money. Right. Mm-hmm. They are, you know, they are called to, um, they're called to a level of transparency and a level of work and a level of, um, uh, and a level of transformative justice, um, that perhaps might feel like they are called to do a little bit more than some other folks. So, yes, um, you know, everybody likes to talk about the Bible every five seconds and want to quote Jesus all the time. I also read to whom much is given, much is required. And what that means is, is like, if you have much, you might have to do a little bit more for your community.
3: Absolutely. Uh, I want to shift us to kind of our final closing sections. First up, we have queering the canon. So, uh, if you could perform or choreograph a piece from the theater canon, what would it be, and how would you want to queer it up?
0: Oh God! <laughs> uh, <laughs> choreograph something from the theater canon. My own piece called um, "Roaring," which is a which takes place in the 1920s, and it's about a black family of performers in Harlem who perform at you know the Mom's nightclub. I would want to, I would want to be in that because it's, it's, you know, the protagonist is the black trans woman, um, the family are, you know, four black folks. And it's, uh, you know, it was my, <laughs> it is a piece that I think is, um, you know, I think that we oftentimes have conversations about, um, you know, black trans women in a modern context, but we also existed in in Harlem we existed in the 50s. We were there during the Civil Rights Movement. We were there um, talking about abolition in the 1800s. Um, and so I would want to do Roaring. I would want to be Diamond Malone in my musical that I co-wrote with Andrew Morrissey, who did the music and I did the book and the lyrics, and Roaring. Because, like, that is a musical that we have not witnessed on Broadway ever. We have not witnessed in theaters ever. And that's a story we've not witnessed. And I think it's important for us to see Diamond Malone shaking her ass and singing her songs, um, and telling men ain't shit. Oh, that one.
2: <laughs> love it. <laughs> We'd love to that see one. that. amazing (laughs) and then jumping over to queer culture rex is there anything you would like to share with us outside of theater that's been your queer culture indulgence tv movies books gosh
0: what do i say right (laughs) like it's like what what do i say um oh queer oh gosh i don't know i feel like you know i watch a lot of shows and shit and I, i read books and things um
2: it can be like queer to you. It doesn't have to be like specifically
0: queer. Uh, it, doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be LGBTQ plus, IA plus.
2: Exactly.
3: Yeah.
0: Okay. Uh, <laughs> well, I will say this. I am about to start watching. um I'm about to start watching P-Valley, which I've not caught up with. Um mm-hmm. I'm about to start watching Lovecraft Country, Oh, yeah, I
3: haven't watched it. started it. It's so good.
0: Um, <laughs> um, you know, I would say maybe the Black Transpera book, which I know I co-edited, but, but I think that that's a piece, that's a book that I think is really, really desperately, um, I think, I, I think that that book is necessary for, you know, trans folks. Sure. Um, and you know, I, I, read from that sometimes. And I do these Thursdays lives at like 8pm on Instagram and I normally read something I wrote. So I read from the Black transparent book, I think, two weeks ago. And then, you know, I'm a big comic nerd, y'all. Amazing. I'm a huge comic nerd, yeah. And so I've been going, I've been going back to, um, I've been going back to all of these old comic books and, and reading and reading and reading and then I just Read a story that takes place during um, Secret Wars in the Marvel canon, um, in which Northstar and his husband—it's um, like an alternate universe, right? So it's not the—it's not the main six one six universe. It's like an mm-hmm. alternate universe, and it's—it was like a collection of stories, and and one of these stories is, is Northstar's husband um, trying to um, trying to. Enlist um, the help of, of a mutant To, to, to storm these uh, Mutant camps To basically like free And save his husband um, And so that That was I guess that was something That I read that I was like oh You know that they're a gay Couple and I think they might have been the first I think they might have been the First gay Couple on A to get married in a cover, I mean in, in a comic. Oh wow. That's awesome. Um, North Star and I, I forget his husband's name cuz they're they're not as they're not in the comics as much, but um yeah, that was I have that I have that issue, but um this was in an alternate universe. And so yeah, and I, and I think for myself right like because I because I'm not um oftentimes like uh witnessing myself reflected in comics and or um, you know, witch stories or stories about magic or sci-fi, um, you know, I I like to celebrate my own work. So, you know, Brew and, you know, the Ghetto Goddess series and the See Muhammad series, because like those books were really written um, because I wasn't witnessing myself and things. And I wanted to tell these stories, but I also wanted to make sure that um, Black and Brown and Indigenous LGBTQ peoples um fill those worlds. So most of the characters and most of my books are um black, brown, indigenous and um most of them are LGBTQ because I think it's important for us to um you know tell our own stories. Did that answer your question?
2: <laughs> Definitely. And we'll link to all of your work so our listeners can find it. That's awesome. <laughs>
3: Finally, we do Queer Gives. So I know you wanted to shout out for the girls. Uh, is there anything you want to say about them or, or why you love them?
4: Yeah.
0: I mean, like, you know, for the girls is, for the <laughs> girls is, is one of those um, organizations that I love along with, um, you know, Ochre Project and um, Black Trans Travel Fund and Marsha P. The Marsha P. Um, Johnson Institute, um, to name just a few, um, who are, who's doing, Um, amazing work for the black trans community Um, and for the girls. I believe that I just saw something from them where they are, they help with rent relief for the girls. (laughs) So, uh, so as I think about, right, as I think about the fact that we have a um, GOP, GOP led Congress who don't care about us at all, this pandemic has been raging and that there are so there's so much economic violence that happens to black trans women already. Um, And that the, you know, the economic crisis that was born out of the ineptitude and the lies of this administration, um, which has led to in very many ways uh, an economic crisis, um, that oftentimes uh, black trans women are forgotten when we talk about like who is in need of relief Who is in need of um, uh, economic assistance? And so, um, I still don't know if they passed the second stimulus package. But I wanted to um, shout out for the girls in this in this moment because I know that they are helping folks with rent with their rent. And I wanted to um, say yes, you know, if you got any coin, honey, and you you know you can help them, um, help others, then go ahead and do that. Awesome.
2: That's great. And then last but not least, how can our listeners follow you online?
0: Okay, boo, you can follow me, um, on Instagram. Um, you know, I always tell folks, I say, listen, Instagram is where you're going to get the titties and also You know, me talk about politics and shit. So don't think, because you know, there was a meme a little while ago. I can't, I can't remember who made this meme, where it's like, you know, somebody comes who just follows you on Instagram because, like, they just think you're going to your titties out all the time. Um, and then they, like, <laughs> and then they see you like critiquing like oppressive governments, right? And they're like, what? So I, so you know, for people who follow me on Instagram, don't think it's just going to be like pictures of me with my boobs out and my makeup on and me like, you know doing all that you might get a little bit of that but you're also going to get um my hot takes as they say (laughs) my hot takes (laughs) okay my instagram is lady dane fe so so lady dane fe that's also how you can get to my website ladydanefe.com is my website and then my twitter because somebody already had lady dane um my twitter is at the lady dane or The Lady Dane. So T-H-E Lady Dane. Um, And Twitter is where you going to just... You know, Twitter is me reading a bunch of bitches, right? Um, And when I say (laughs) a bunch of bitches, I mean, you know, like oppressive systems and shit. So if you ain't here to have conversations about dismantling white supremacy, if you don't like to see conversations like that, baby, then you probably don't want to follow me on Twitter because I goes in. Okay? Um, But maybe you should follow. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) You know what I tell people I always say in my in my shows I always go I go listen, I'm going to cuss a lot. I said I'm going to read, um I'm going to read a lot. Um and I was like I'm not going to send to white people. So I said if you get bothered by any of those things, you might want to leave the space right now and go buy my books. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> go buy my books and have a nice evening. So um, That should
3: be the only way people like are allowed to leave is by buying your books. Yeah,
0: they're not allowed (laughs) out unless they do that. (laughs) No, we want to honor folks. We want to honor folks' autonomy and agency, y'all.
3: I guess, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you so much for being here. This was amazing. And uh, we just value your insight so much. Yeah, thank you.
0: Y'all are so sweet. Thank you for having me.
3: Thanks for listening. If you like, please rate and review us and share us with your
2: friends. Come back for more interviews, fun queer content, recommendations, and eventually discussions on current theater. We are so excited to hear your queer culture recommendations or any of your ideas on how we could queer the canon. You can call us, yes, actually call us and leave us a voicemail at 845-445-9251 or send us an email at thesisonjoan at gmail.com.
3: And follow us on social media. We're on Instagram and Twitter at Thesis on Joan. Until next time,
2: keep it queer. Not that it'd be that hard for y'all to do.
0: <laughs> so my Instagram is, hold on y'all, y'all tried it. Let me go look on my Instagram Shit, because I might have <laughs> said it wrong. I might have said it wrong <laughs> with all of that.